Amen. Take your copy of God's Word if you have it this morning. Open it up to 1 John, please. 1 John, not to be confused with the Gospel of John, but 1 John. Same author, different book, as we consider what it means to be in Christ, one with Christ, united with Christ, looking forward to ruling and reigning with Him. And I want to encourage you over these next few weeks to echo Brother Jerry's words this next Sunday uh, will be our anniversary Sunday. We're looking forward to celebrating some baptisms on that day, anniversary weekend. Please come. Please invite someone with you. And then at the end of the service today, we're going to have a special time of prayer for all of our students uh, who are going back to school. So I'm so thankful that, that you're here to be a part of that as the Lord continues to grow us and push us towards his truth. And one day he calls us to live in his righteousness. And we will do that through what 1 John says. Look at me in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John often refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's part of the inner circle of three. John, who's there at the cross with Mary, as Jesus says to her, woman, behold your son, and he says to John, son, behold your mother. Jesus entrusted John with caring for the very one who had brought him into this world. And tradition has it that John is the only apostle, one of the original 12, to die a martyr's death. Everyone else did not die of natural causes, whatever natural causes means anyway these days, because death is ultimately not natural. That's why we need a resurrection. But John was the only one to not die a martyr's death. He was exiled. And in the meantime, he lived such a long life into his 90s that he personally discipled some of the better-known church fathers, such as Ignatius of Loyola and Polycarp, who would later give his life for the gospel as well. And in this book, he is having to address something that was very much on fire in the churches of that day. It was something called Gnosticism. It was this kind of special knowledge. It, originally, it would have been almost like a New Age teaching. It was spiritualism, that everything in the body is bad and everything in the spirit 
is good. Now, it's easy to think sometimes if your church is growing and your church is moving along that you've got some kind of inside track or special knowledge because you think that you know how to do it better than anybody else. That's not always a good thing, but that's not heresy. But in this case, it is heresy saying that only spirit is real and the body is not real. Here's why it's important. Some of the Gnostics believed that Jesus didn't come in human form or possess a human body. So you got that picture of the footprints in the sand, and you hear that beautiful poem, it was here that I carried you, and you see those other tracks where that's where I carried you, kicking and screaming Jesus as I held you while you were going through all of those trials. They would say there's only one set of footprints because Jesus was only a spirit and not a body. Because everything in the physical world is evil, which includes your body. So the flesh is evil, only the spirit is good, which led to two different types of outcomes as to how you would live. One was an ascetic lifestyle. So the flesh is evil, so attempt to withdraw from society. Get away from everybody, live by yourself, don't interact with people because the flesh was evil, asceticism. Number two was the opposite end of that, which was libertinism. So the flesh doesn't matter, and if it doesn't matter... Do whatever you want. My goodness, if that isn't the church of God on some Sundays today. But here's the challenge with Gnosticism and anything else that doesn't address body and spirit. And that is you cannot spiritually separate your body from your soul. It doesn't work like that. Jesus, in fact, says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when somebody says it's your body and you can do what you want with it, even from a scriptural argument, that is not the case because you and I have been created in the image of God and our body and spirit are inseparably linked. Jesus coming in the flesh is everything. In fact, John will say so himself in 1 John 4, 2, in this very book, when he declares these words, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And so this is the very beginning, the seed of the woman in Genesis, crushing the serpent's head. The resurrection is paramount. If you tackle that issue and it topples, the rest of Christianity topples with it. The resurrection is paramount, but the incarnation is crucial that God became Man, in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. If you take out fully God, fully man, you no longer have a Christian faith. And so he addresses Jesus coming in the flesh. But he not only argues it from the standpoint of biblical theology, he also says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It isn't just something that's far off. It's that which we have heard. It's that which we've seen with our eyes. It's that which we've looked upon and touched with our hands. That which is from the beginning, 
Christ himself, there at the beginning. John writes of another beginning early in his gospel where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men, and the light walks in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. It could not cover it up. And even as Moses came to deliver the law, Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to believe the sons of God who believed on his name. The word was made flesh. The invisible made visible. John will say this life was made manifest. It is the very manifestation of the glory of God. And so people come to him because of miracles and what he can do. They come to him for stuff when they don't realize that he has so much more to offer this. So when he feeds them and they ask him, Lord, give us this bread, he says, this bread didn't come from Moses. It came from my father. How do we know this truth of which John writes? Well, he engages our senses because we've heard it. We've seen it. We've looked upon it. We've touched it with our very hands. It's interesting that he says this because in Hebrews 12, the author says this kingdom cannot be touched. And yet here John says, we have seen it. We have heard it. We have looked upon it. We've touched it. And we've done so how? Through Emmanuel, Jesus Christ himself, God with us. So you can't see God with your eyes until you first see him with your heart. This isn't a fairy tale that we all believe in. God has instead established witnesses that if you believe that Socrates wrote a book and Plato wrote a book and Herodotus wrote a book and all of these philosophers wrote books that have been passed down, the evidence and the manuscripts for the Bible comes at such a much sooner date after it was written and is multiplied by the thousands in numbers of manuscripts. People saw him. People heard him. People touched him. It isn't just something that was made up. There was no way they could have made it up. They gave their lives so that others might know. And that's what Christ has done. He has given us life. He's raised our dead souls from their spiritual graves. We were once dead. We were like Paul, thrown off his horse, bird up his saddle, where Jesus says it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Isn't it something all through Scripture? These people are healed, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees began to try to quench the spirit in the middle of it. They try to steal all the joy. They say, why was he healed in this place, or why was he healed on this day? And these guys that were healed all have the same reaction. They say, I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that once I was lame, and now I can walk. Once I was lost, and now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. And John says, this is the reason we proclaim it. So that, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And ultimately, he writes, so that our joy may be complete. Hey, you can't always have happiness Sometimes people ask, well, are you happy in any given circumstance? I can't remember the last time I really truthfully considered that question. Why is that? God isn't against your happiness, but happiness comes and goes. It depends on the circumstances. 
If you're in the stock market and the stock market goes up, you're happy. If you're not in the if you're in the stock market and it goes down, you're sad. If you get a raise, you're happy. If you don't get a raise, you're sad. If your family's going well, you're happy. If you're not, you're sad. You can't really change those circumstances. He doesn't say so that your happiness may be complete. He says that your joy may be complete. See, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life, you can always have joy. Because joy isn't dependent on my emotions. It isn't dependent on my circumstances. It's dependent on what I know to be true, and that is that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again the third day, that whosoever may believe may have forgiveness in life. That's joy. That we might have fellowship with one another. For those of you who have been on mission trips, or maybe you've just been across town or in other churches and you've discovered this to be true, fellowship with other believers around the world is incredible. I've been to Mexico and Burma and Thailand and Argentina and England and other countries, and every single time, no matter if there's a language barrier or not, there's fellowship with other believers. I remember that with Kenneth, the taxi driver in Burma, driving around, couldn't speak hardly a word of English. He's driving at 100 miles an hour. I can see a, a floor. There's a hole in the floorboard as we're going, and I'm trying my best to signal him to slow down, and I don't know how to do it. It all gets lost in translation. He finally gets us to our spot. I'm thanking the Lord that I survived all that. He looks at me, and in perfect English, he says, see you in heaven one day. There's fellowship there, even if there's a language barrier. Fellowship. Now, you can have conversation. Sometimes you can have fellowship with other believers in a way that you can't even have fellowship with your own family and with your own relatives. When you go to a family reunion, there's all kinds of things to talk about. But to be able to talk with someone about Jesus and have that joy and have that fellowship, that's why we need the church. That's what John writes about here. He says it's that word of life, that that word is life-giving. It's God-breathed. And dear friends, if you will bury yourself within its pages, no matter how deep you go in, it never runs dry. So he says this is the message we have heard and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And in fact, that's how God dwells in unfathomable light. That if you were to take the heat of the sun and the brightness of the sun, that you can't escape no matter where you are on this earth and multiply that times infinity, that is the brightness of our God. He is a consuming fire. Light does something, doesn't it? It exposes, it reveals Some people think they're coming around trying to find Jesus as if he's hidden around. God's not playing hide and seek with you. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path that God himself is light. Now light is not God, but God is light. Just as love is not God, but God is love. So you can claim to have fellowship with God and yet be walking in the darkness. And it's enslaving. But he says, if, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what light enables us to do? It enables us to see things as they really are spiritually, as they truly are. 
About 100 years ago, they went in a multi-million dollar project and cleaned off the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's great work. And they said the colors and the prisms that were exposed as a result of that soot being removed made it look that much more remarkable than it already was. That's what the light of God does in circumstances in your life. He helps you to see things with the eyes of Christ so that when you see with spiritual eyes, the world looks a whole lot different because Jesus is the very light of your life. And so he says, beginning in verses 6 on down, we have these five ifs that are patterns for it. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That second pattern if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So this is the thing. I don't know if you've heard this, this news or not, but this church and Christianity in general is only open for sinners. If you're not a sinner, you can't come. Some people say, well, I've never sinned. Well, I don't know where you belong, but you don't belong in church. <laughs> it's for sinners. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But number three, this third if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess before the Lord that we have sinned, he is the one who is faithful and just to cleanse and forgive. And then look at number five. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word, the truth, is not in us. Do you know the hardest person to win to faith in Christ, in my estimation, is someone who considers themselves to be a moral person, quote-unquote, good person. But the Bible says, even in your goodness, it's not the same as righteousness. In fact, the Scripture says, there's no good, no, not one. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And dear friend, unless you realize that, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But there's good news too. No matter what you've done, the most difficult sin on the face of the earth, whatever it is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One theologian put it this way, if we do not perceive our wretchedness and poverty, we will never know how desirable is that remedy Christ has brought to us. This is what is wonderful about the book of John. He reminds us of what's taken place before. Now remember, John was in that upper room. He saw Jesus face to face after the resurrection. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the risen Christ. And yet the scripture reminds us, even though we haven't seen him, whom having not seen, we love he said, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. How have we seen it? We've seen it through Jesus, but it's also been passed down from faith to faith, from generation to generation. This is part of why we recognize Back to School Sunday. This is part of why we think it is important to plan our student theology and activities and everything that goes with it. Why? Because it's a faith that's passed down. We've seen it. We've heard it. We believed it. And notice what he says here. This isn't as if you just need to get a little bit better. This isn't as if if you just work on a self-improvement process and put 12 steps in, that's going to make you right with God. He says, you didn't need to improve your vision. You were blind. 
You didn't need hearing aids. You were deaf. You didn't need someone to check your pulse. You were dead. And now you've been made alive in Christ. And the most wonderful promise in all the Bible, one of them anyway, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, when you tell it to Jesus, Jesus hears, Jesus saves, and Jesus forgives from all unrighteousness. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm going to ask us, as we come to the invitation in just a moment, a time of prayer for our students just after that, right now, as you consider this word that the Lord has given us in 1 John Do you know the author of the book? Because he's writing these things so that you might have fellowship with him and that your joy may be complete. But it's impossible for that to happen apart from the intervening work of God's salvation. Do you know him today? Have you trusted him? You can do so right now. Just a few moments, we'll have an invitation time. You can come if that's who you are. Friend, today, do you have unconfessed sin before the Lord? Are you dwelling in the darkness when God dwells in the light? It's not a fun place to be. And if you're miserable there, it's because that is not who God created you to be. Instead, he calls you to dwell and to live in his marvelous light. Father, I pray this morning that you would have your way in our lives, in all of these circumstances. We thank you for the promises of God that come by faith. Thank you that we've heard it. Thank you that we've seen it with our eyes. Thank you that we've looked upon it and touched it because of Jesus who dwells inside us. Thank you that one day we don't even know what we'll be like, but we know that we shall see him. We'll be like him, for we'll see him just as he is. Have your way in this church as we seek to bring in, to raise up, to send out a generation all in for Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen.